it's the best feeling. You've got a big idea. You dive in, following your taste, you're hooked. But how do you know if you're onto something that other people will find compelling? Or perhaps more precisely, how can you make clear to everyone else what it is that makes this idea so gripping for you? Because actually, it's not always clear to us what keeps us interested in our own work. How can you get at the crux of what's so intriguing to you, yourself? Wait, what's the focus sentence for the book? No, no, I just want to know. The suspense is killing me. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Here it is. I'm Jessica Abel, and we're going Out on the Wire, the show about making stories step by step. Last time around, we talked about ideas and how to follow your taste to find ideas that feed your curiosity. But then what? Even if you've got a whole stable of ideas, how do you figure out which ones work and which ones don't? How do you know if your idea is even worth pursuing? That's what we'll talk about this time. Your ideas are seeds. Making stories is impossible without them, but you need to water them to figure out which ones are big, strong oak trees and which ones are just scraggly little weeds. In this episode, we've got two supercharged tools for you to use for idea triage and to build the path forward. And at the end of the show, we've got a new challenge for you that will keep you on the road to building a great story. So come on, let's get out on that wire. This is episode two. Focus. 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 These concepts are heavy. It's not hard to end up feeling in over your head. But stick with me here. The only way out is through. And to make the path clearer, we're going to do this in four chapters. I'm even going to name them for you. Chapter 1. Focusing in. In my travels with great radio producers, I heard a lot about finding and refining great ideas. As I said last time, this is their one central focusing desire. To make stories you can't shut off to hold your attention with super glue. But if you want to do that, you got to know, what is your story actually about? That's not as easy as it sounds to figure out. But by a very fortuitous coincidence, I was handed a gift right at the outset of my research for Out on the Wire. The very first reporting trip I made was to the Transom Workshop in Woods Hole, Massachusetts, an eight-week workshop where Rob Rosenthal teaches up-and-coming radio producers how to make better stories. The students at the Transom Workshop were trying to figure out exactly what I needed to figure out as I was just starting a giant new project. How to discover what was at the heart of their stories. I met Rob and half the Transom class at WCAI, which is in an old converted Cape Cod house, complete with a fireplace in the conference room. Jessica Kittums forged into the unknown while I sat in on the class. She came in with four interviews with people involved in a pilot farming project on Martha's Vineyard. Her idea had been to do some kind of overview of this project, but she was stuck. It was all interesting, and there was no one thread pulling things together other than the basic topic of, there's a pilot farming project on Martha's Vineyard. In a way, it was a problem of too much information. The class started digging into the interviews, and it quickly became apparent that the most intriguing character in the bunch was a young farmer named Lily with strong ideas about how she wanted to work. What's your focus sentence? It's a great question. That will answer. Is it about the plot? Is it about the farm? Is it about Lily? Is it about... I think I do want to focus on her. I think you could come up with a focus sentence right now. I'm a tools person, and the focus sentence is a really kick-ass tool. 
What's a focus sentence? It's a format that allows you to slot in elements of the story in order to identify the essential question of the story. There are lots of possible variations on the idea. Rob Rosenthal, the teacher at the Transom Workshop, uses one that he found in a book by Todd Maffin in his book From Idea to Air. It goes like this. Someone does something because but. Let's go over that again. Someone. A main character, a protagonist. Does something. The protagonist is in motion, in the middle of living his or her life. Because. The protagonist has a motivation inner or outer, for doing whatever it is that he or she is doing. But. There is something that stands in his or her way, something that makes this action difficult or problematic and means that the outcome is unknown. So here's an example. Good boy, Luke Skywalker, is frustrated, living a boring life on a farm on Tatooine. He buys some boring new farm androids who turn out to have some kind of hollow image hidden inside. Because he's a sucker for a pretty girl begging for help, he sets out to find old Ben Kenobi. But the Empire is looking for those same androids, and when stormtroopers kill his family, it sets him on a path that will determine the fate of the galaxy. Now, here's Jessica Kiddum's first stab at a focus sentence. Lily Blank. Wants to farm. I don't remember that name. Vineyard. This is how. But it's really hard to find land. This is how she's starting. Lily wants to run a farm on the vineyard, but it's really hard to find land. And this is how she's starting. Hmm. Sort of. What What interests you about starting about her? You can tell she just has this vision for her future that she's pretty sure she's going to get there. She, she wasn't, you know, she is facing challenges, but she's really positive about it and excited about it. So what if the focus sentence went like, Lily, whatever her last name is, who very much wants to be a full-time farmer on Martha's Vineyard, is now in charge of her first farming project, but the cards are stacked against her. Does that sound accurate? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. There we go. Once Jessica Kiddums identified a main character, she was able to peel away the inessential and figure out what the protagonist wanted and what stood in her way. And suddenly, it became clear that the story was not about the pilot program at all, but about the struggles of a young farmer starting her career under less-than-ideal circumstances. Farming... Uh, on Martha's Vineyard is really difficult because land is so expensive. So, you know, there's a lot of people who want to set out and, and farm on their own, but it's it's hard to find agricultural land that is Notice, this is nonfiction, but we're talking about character and a protagonist in the same way we would for a fictional story. I'll put a link to her final story, and all the stories I'm talking about, actually, in the show notes. The focus sentence did three things for Rob's class. One, it helped Jessica choose among the many threads she had available for her story. Two, it gave the story a narrative arc. Lily wants A. She will have to overcome B in order to get it. And three, it gave Jessica the structure to guide her questioning in her next interviews. We'll talk a lot more about how focus can guide interviewing in episode five about interviewing and research. Sometimes, what the focus sentence does is excavate the story out of what you've found and shine it up nice and pretty so you can really see what it is you're going for. 
focus sentence sets up a question that begs answering, which is the foundation of the story's overall structure. Because whatever question you ask at the beginning tells you what your end is. The end is the answer to that question. I learned that from another quasi-student, Julia DeWitt, who, in 2012, was an intern at Snap Judgment, which is a themed weekly radio show that focuses on propulsive first-person storytelling. She's a full producer now, by the way. While I was there, Julia was working on a story about Rocky. This is Rocky. Rocky grew up in Shiprock, New Mexico. Yeah, hi, I'm Rocky. Rocky's a nickname. A guy who lost his mother as a kid and then left home to work at the carnival at the age of 13. He kept traveling with them until he was involved in a tragic accident on a ride where a girl was killed. It's a great story. It has drama, conflict, and an interesting character at its heart. But you'll notice those are all things that make good beginnings, not endings. If you're going to get into such a sort of sad story or such a personal story, you really need to be thinking about how how it's going to end, for example. Um, I'm sorry, can you take that apart for me a little bit? What do you mean? I mean, I was like, there must be a good story. There's, you know, there's tragedy, there's recovery. Rocky had a hard, hard life. He's a really interesting guy. He's got this very particular kind of, like, way of talking. If I'm naturally good at anything for radio, it's recognizing the ingredients. The thing that I need to get better at is understanding the recipe. The recipe. That's a powerful formulation. A focus sentence is a kind of recipe for a story arc. I, I, it would, I would have been better served, and the story would have been better served if I had thought about the ending ahead of time, possible endings. That really the key is to stay open enough so that you're, you can see when like a new unexpected opportunity opens up for, for the story, but that you know you have a clear enough idea of what you're trying to do so that you don't come out with a bunch of gobbledygook. There's an old saying in screenwriting. Your movie is about the last 15 minutes, and nailing the ending is definitely super important. But that's not quite what I'm getting at. Knowing the ending, knowing where you're heading, allows you to do the right research, write in the right clues, to set up the path to that end convincingly and compellingly. You may have heard the famous rule Russian playwright Anton Chekhov laid down. If in the first act you have hung a pistol on the wall, then in the following one it should be fired. The inverse of that rule is, if in the second act your character fires a pistol, you'd better have hung it on the wall in act one. None of which means that you'll nail your ending or your focus sentence right out of the box. Your first stab at a focus sentence will get you started down the path of discovery. But each turn you take in actually researching and creating your story could cause you to reassess your basic assumptions and revise your working focus. And if you're not flexible enough to see that, you could end up telling the wrong story. Which reminds me of something Ira Glass once told me over Skype. How's it going? (laughs) Ira doesn't use a formal focus sentence. But then, neither will you probably once you've internalized that structure to the extent that he has. And whatever he calls it, he certainly does a lot of focusing before he gets into the field. Ira likes to have the possible structure of a story worked out before he ever does his first interview. But that does not mean he never gets it wrong. Reality has a way of messing with our beautiful story structures. So, a while ago, Ira was reporting a story about a pair of identical twins who are middle school principals that ran as the prologue of episode 485 of This American Life. They're identical twins. And one of them will always play the bad cop, and one of them will always play the good cop. And they have two different outfits. The bad cop, 
I think wears a suit and the good cop wears a sweater, you know? And then sometimes just because it's boring being one of those roles, they'll switch and nobody can tell. If their loves on skids, treat your folks like kids, are your family. The pitch Ira got, which was what made him want to pursue the story, set up certain expectations. He was looking to find a kind of grown-up version of the parent trap. The parent trap, if they lose that scene. You could imagine his focus sentence as something like, Identical twin middle school principals take on good cop, bad cop roles because it gives them the upper hand with the kids. But sometimes they get bored with their usual roles and switch. And, um, and then before we went out, we realized that wasn't true. Like, you know, we just checked. We didn't right. even call the guys. It was yeah. not true. But we were doing a show which was, uh, which was a uh, doppelganger show. So, no parent trap. Okay. But still, really... All he needs is one minute, just a tiny clip of these guys talking about how it's to their advantage to be twins as principals. And he's got a top for his show. And I went out there, and those were really sweet guys. And I think that they run a nice school. But, um, but they were really um, very positive men. Uh, good morning, beautiful scholars. Like, who talk in that very, like, I'm going to give you a positive lesson. You come from greatness. You're queens and, you know, and kings. <laughs> Which is entirely appropriate if you're the principal of a middle school. <laughs> but not ideal if you're being interviewed on the radio. Do you know what I mean? And so every anecdote would come back around to the kind of positive message they're trying to get across. So, time for plan B. I think, like, in the interview, we asked about, like, the... What relationship did they have, as twins have with twins in the school, kids who were twins? And, um, and they talked about these two girls who hated each other, who were twins, and how it drove them crazy, and how they're just like, you shouldn't hate each other. And as luck would have it, one of these twin girls just happened to walk into the school office while Ira and the producer were standing there. He would just call us kings and queens, something, something. I wasn't really listening. You know, and if you think about, like, who's going to be the most emotionally expressive person in the world, it's going to be a teenage girl anyway. <laughs> but then even for that population, she was, like, super expressive, really smart, really able to talk about her feelings, full of stories about how her sister was driving her crazy, which, of course, you would be if you were in a situation where your sister was driving you crazy. I got to see her when I wake up, when I go to sleep, and I don't like her. And, uh, and we talked to her and, then, and, and what her experience was like with the principals. And the principals trying to tell her, no, you shouldn't be mad at your sister. And how that ridiculous that was to her because for all these reasons, she had reasons to be mad at her sister. And, um, and then we got the sister, and, who was equally an amazing talker and equally expressive. And, 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 you know, like the rule of thumb is like, you know, the people who are going to be the best talkers are the people who are in the middle of a conflict that isn't resolved. Just always. So he's got a brand new story. But he doesn't have a plan anymore. The plan he worked on in advance is now out the window. And, um, and I feel like, first of all, as a reporter, you're being the editor every second you're out on the story. I'm going out in the field with a picture in my head of what I need. Just to speak to the thing you're saying about focusing a story, like a lot of it is just like you're out in the field and you're, you're like editing the story in your head the entire time. And you're thinking, what's the quote that's the hook? of the story and you're noticing what's working. And in the middle of the day, I and the producer who I was working with went off to like across the street to grab like a sandwich and we sat down and just made a list of everything we had that we thought could work and then made a structure 
and then said, okay, now here are our holes that we have to get, and then went back in, all on that same day in the field. Ira had a plan. He always has a plan. But he's also always reworking his plan based on what he actually discovers in the world. His new focus sentence might be, twin principals try to help twin girls understand one another and get along because they see themselves in them. But the girls think being twins is irrelevant and they can't see past their differences. So, a focus sentence is a kind of plan. But what it gives you is a hypothesis. It doesn't give you all the answers. You do some initial research forays, and you use that preliminary work to write a focus sentence. After that, you do the bulk of the research work, guided by the understanding the focus sentence gives you. And along the way, you reassess your hypothesis. You rewrite your focus sentence. Does it still hold? Or have you learned something new that changes your direction? Chapter 2, The Big Butt. Once I learned Rob's focus sentence, I asked everybody about it. No one used it. But I felt like I'd found a magic wand, and I used it myself. What's a focus sentence again? Someone does something. Because. But. Trish Trash Nupinju is a very talented young hover derby player on Mars 200 years in the future. She wants desperately to go pro because it seems like the only way to escape a future of poverty and hard labor on her family's moisture farm in Marinara's Casma. But even if she could make the team, she's too young to get a contract yet, and her family is going broke faster than her escape velocity. And then a half-dead Martian shows up on her doorstep. Writing a focus sentence for my sci-fi epic in progress was a piece of cake. It's a story about a central character who has her own ambitions, but who is also stuck in a system that basically won't allow her success. That's the but. Mars sucks. And if Trish wants to succeed, she's going to have to not only be a hot derby player, she's going to have to fix Mars. And once I had that formulation, it gave my writing more focus. I also just straight up stuck it on my Trish Trash Facebook page in the About section. It really does lay out the basic conflict of the book. Conflict. That's the heart of the focus sentence. The but equals conflict. Here come Alice and Jerry and Eddie on their way to school. Uh-oh, what does Alice see? Disputing over who should ride the tricycle certainly spoils their play. It isn't any fun, and besides, it's dangerous. Someone's likely to be hurt. When I tried to come up with a focus sentence for my book, Out on the Wire, the book this show springs out of, it was not so easy. I kept trying, but everything I wrote fell flat. It just didn't sum up what was driving the book forward. So then I went to Ira with my problem. Uh, here it is. A band of talented radio producers makes some of the most exciting and effective nonfiction narratives in our culture today because they have a crazy intense drive to tell the stories of the world around them and a powerful set of narrative tools. But the tools are not necessarily anything new. Or ne the tools are not necessarily anything new under the sun, but these producers recombine them in such a way that the end product sounds absolutely new. I thought the sentence was going to be um, um, artists starts to get interested in radio <laughs> with the best of intentions 
um, and the, and the curiosity about the world because she's life loving and embraces other art forms, but then finds she has to deal with a bunch of really eccentric people, each of whom has their own points of view. Yeah, my first version started something like this, um, something like Jessica is making a comic book about the new masters of narrative and the radio because they're the best at telling great stories and she wants to know why, but the subject is vast and she's a mere mortal and she doesn't know what the hell she's doing. That is my heart. (laughs) Okay, all right. That would be a good story, but that is definitely not what the book is about. The problem for me in trying to use the focus sentence is that my book is not about me and my journey. It's not even really about the producers. It's about their ideas. And while it's completely possible to use a focus sentence on a book about ideas, the core utility of the focus sentence is defining the central conflict. And for many people doing nonfiction works that are not directly telling the stories of individuals, while the focus sentence can function as the arc of the story, it's not compelling. Why not? Well, in my case... The but of the focus sentence isn't much of a conflict. These techniques are old, but they feel new. So what? And when I figured that out, I got pretty worried, actually, that the book that I thought was really interesting wasn't. But why do we need conflict? Can't we all just love each other? I mean, don't get me wrong here. You can do whatever you want with your story, and I'll talk more about that later. But if what you want is to hook your audience and hold them, the strongest tool you have is suspense. What is suspense? Suspense is an unanswered question. Suspense is what you felt at the top of the show because you were waiting to hear what Ira was reacting to, weren't you? Wait, what's the focus sentence for the book? No, no, I just want to know. The suspense is killing me. And that's what you get when you've got conflict. Because when there's a conflict, there's always a question, which is, will this get worked out? How? And because we've been introduced to the protagonist and his or her burning desire that's being thwarted somehow, we care. We want this conflict to get resolved. And that all adds up to a giant question. And that magic quality, suspense. Chapter 3. What's interesting about it? For Out on the Wire, I definitely didn't have a whole lot of suspense. But I was deep in nonetheless. And I was pretty sure others would find it engrossing too. But then how can you think through that question of the angle, the hook, the interestingness? Alex Bloomberg, whom we heard from in episode one, formerly of This American Life, co-founder of Planet Money and now of Gimlet Media, invented a tool for this. The XY story formula is a statement of your project in two sentences. It's a way of looking at that character in conflict or that character-free topic and deciding how interesting it is. How much do we need this story to exist in the world? As a counterpart to the focus sentence, it helps clarify a very important piece. Maybe you've got your narrative arc. You've got conflict. But is it interesting? Here's how you do it. You tell someone out loud. And the out loud part is important. You have to hear yourself talk. I'm doing a story about X. And what's interesting about it is why. A story about X. X is a topic, any basic subject area, a person, an event, 
And what's interesting about it is why. What is that special sauce that makes this particular person, event, or subject worth our consideration? And the key is why actually has to be interesting. It has to be something surprising and unexpected. I was talking to David Kestenbaum at Planet Money about this idea, right in the middle of their offices, and he was whispering for some reason. For a radio guy, he's very quiet. So for once, the tape is so bad that I don't dare play it for you. Wait, listen, this is what it sounds like. I have put a lot of crappy tape on this show, but even I have standards. Here's the gist of what he said. There's so many important stories out there. You could do a story about world hunger every day, but we don't. Instead, we have this awful human reaction of, I know, I know, don't bother me with that. We don't want to feel pity. And we have a very hard time feeling connected to that kind of suffering. It's just overwhelming. So how do you get into that kind of story? A reporter at a panel David was on asked how David would handle a story the reporter wanted to tell about alcoholism on an Indian reservation. The hook was that there was a liquor store there selling a million bottles of liquor a year or something. And David and the other participants were like, there's nothing surprising about it. It's obviously terrible. But what do I learn from the story? And so people were throwing out ideas. The problem was the character. Someone said, I know, what if the character is an obsessive recycler and then they drink all these bottles and they have to recycle them? The point being that the obsessive recycler is a little bit funny. Maybe he's got a level of ironic detachment on the situation, and we don't have to pity him. The underlying topic is sad and relevant, and it illuminates real issues of the community, which would be fine for what Adam Davidson calls commodity news, top-of-the-hour stuff. But for narrative journalism, it lacks a character we can connect to, someone who comes at the topic from the side in some way. It lacks an element of surprise. Yeah, there's nothing surprising about it, right? Like, what's... Surprising. I think he does There's nothing surprising about cheap houses. There's something fun and surprising about a 12-year-old buying houses. <laughs> There's something surprising about a 12-year-old buying houses. That's a reference to a famous story Hannah Joffe Walt did for Planet Money to explain what was going on in the housing market after the crash. She found a girl in Florida, who was actually 14 at the time, investing her babysitting money in foreclosed houses. I am Willow Tofano. I am 14, and I own a MacBook Air, a paddleboard a longboard, a PlayStation 3, four ferrets, and I own a house. That's definitely interesting. You know, the fact is, I never really have figured it out for Out on the Wire. Why is this project so engrossing for me? Why has everyone who's read it so far felt pretty much the same way? Why am I diving into what is essentially an expanded audio version of the book, meaning this show, just as I was about to finally be done with the whole thing? Sure, I have backstage passes to some of the best shows out there, but it's not like I'm showing slap fights in the break room. Not that there ever, ever are any slap fights in the break room. What's interesting about this to me, I suppose, is that the creative process is so very mysterious and so hard and so basically engaging. And I was able to find some tools and general principles that I've been able to apply in my own work, both fiction and nonfiction, and that can be applied across the board to any narrative work. No one actually craps out awesome screenplays while sunning themselves by the pool sipping daiquiris. This is hard work. It's complicated. But it's also wonderful and worth it. And these producers have a suite of approaches we can learn from and that can make our work better. Plus, they're funny and charming and have amazing stories to tell, of course. 
As much as I'd like to find a classy, polished XY story formula, I think that's just going to have to satisfy me. Chapter 4. Really, that's it. Everyone I asked about the focus sentence and the XY story formula said, yeah, sure, sounds great. But that's not really what we do to make great stories. Those are just basic organizational rules. Like, sure you want to find a narrative arc for a piece. Sure you want a character experiencing conflict. I mean, if you can find one. Of course you want something surprising to hook the listener. But what results from all that can still be the most workaday story imaginable. Jay Allison is the producer of the Moth Radio Hour, Lost and Found Sound, the Sonic Memorial Project, and dozens of other shows and series. He also founded the network PRX, the site transom.org, which you should be reading if you like this show, and Atlantic Public Media, which runs several local radio stations on Cape Cod. The guy's a legend. And he's kind of the spiritual head of the slow radio movement, which would probably soundly reject all the formulas I've just spent the entire episode explaining to you. Jay was one of the first people I talked to for Out on the Wire. That week I was out visiting the Transom Story Workshop in Woods Hole. We sat down in his backyard studio, a cabin with giant windows looking out on the trees. Let me just ask you then, I mean, do you have an explicit set of rules? Do you just know what you're listening for? About like the structure of a story or like the pieces that, and not necessarily what order it goes in, but like the pieces that need to go into it? You know, it's utterly dynamic, which is why it's not boring. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because if it were the same each time, if there was only one set of rules, uh, all stories would sound the same. And And you know what? I just went to this NGO and they called it Maria Makes Tortillas. You know, Maria's <laughs> making tortillas by herself, but she has trouble getting the corn and she can't find a market to sell them and so her family has hardship. But, the, you know, the, the NGO comes through and it figures out how to get the corn to Maria and how to connect Maria with the, you know, and the camera pulls back and then there's, and then now Maria needs to hire others, which is making the village more, you know. This story is told over and over and over but the real trick is to tell the story in a fresh way each time being informed only by not by the rules of storytelling but by the the material at hand Uh, and then you can apply the rules of storytelling but start with start with that stuff the phrase we use is the moment you know you have a story is the moment you realize it's not the story you thought it was. Mm. Uh, And that requires that you be awake and alert and sensitive and dynamic in your attitude. So that discussion framed my understanding right at the beginning. After that, I was cautious not to assume anything. As much as I liked the idea of the focus sentence in Alex Bloomberg's XY story formula, I could see how they might feel reductive. One of the last interviews I did for the book was with Soren Wheeler, the senior producer of Radiolab. And he straightened me right out. I mean, I'm clearly I'm looking to be surprised. Um, and are you telling me a really compelling set of like narrative set of events like this happened then this, then this and then weirdly this. And then after that, I want to have some reason for that story to exist. Like I want to be like, it needs to like say something back to the entire universe or say something back to me and my life in some kind of way. 
So maybe my sentence would be, this happened blank, then this blank, then this blank, and then you wouldn't fucking believe it, but blank. And the reason that is interesting, every single person walking the face of the earth is blank. (laughs) (laughs) But that's a little too demanding. I mean, basically, what we all want is to make stories that feel non-optional. You can't turn off the radio. You can't close the book. I want you to lose sleep over me. And to take it up just one more notch, let me leave you with this thought. When I talked with him, Sean Cole, formerly of Radiolab, at that time an independent producer and now of This American Life, was a ball of nerves. Maybe that large coffee he had while we talked at Witchcraft in New York didn't help. He was on his way to meet with Ira Glass about a big story he'd been working on for ages. This American Life, episode number 505, used only as directed. I'm just afraid he's going to kill it, because they're so killy there. You know, and we've been working on it for months, and I don't know. I don't, I don't want to But he may. Who knows? You have to always be prepared. At, that was another thing to get used to. Always be prepared at TAL, whether you work there or you don't. Right from the start, Ira designed This American Life from a production standpoint to be able to kill something like 40% of the stories they work on. That's how they end up with only the best. It's survival of the fittest, and it is a, a vicious, vicious game. It's like every story is guilty before proven innocent and has to, and everyone's always looking for the weak part to get the spear in to kill it. And that's why only the strongest stories survive. I mean, unless something... The system is stressful. Everyone loves their own stories, and it's terrible to have to let go. I asked Sean if that caused a sense of paranoia among producers, a watch-your-back competition. No, you're trying to do it. Right. To your own self. Right. You know what I mean. Like, everybody's trying to to kill everything. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you might love something, but you're constantly saying, is it worth it or should I kill this? And and you're like... For you, for me, for all of us, our job is to not settle. Find the thing that will be incredible and make it even more so. Let's all be killer. Now let's get to this week's challenge. But first, let's review how this works. Out on the Wire Season 1 is made up of nine primary episodes, each on a phase of creating a narrative. At the end of each of those episodes, there's a challenge designed to get you working on a narrative project of your own. In between the themed episodes, we recorded live workshop episodes featuring some of the best material from our listeners to explore the process of collaboration and critique. The challenges build on one another so that over the course of the season, you move forward with your project. But it's very hard to have the perspective you need to make your best work all alone. That's where the Out on the Wire working group comes in. It's a group we set up where you can share your work and get feedback from other listeners, as well as discuss and get support for ongoing creative projects. You can find out more at jessicaable.com slash podcast. This week, I've given you two major story building tools, the focus sentence and the XY story formula. They work in somewhat similar ways, but they can also be used in conjunction with one another. So for this week's challenge, I want you to take your idea from last week and craft a focus sentence for it, or an XY story formula, or even better, both. Post your focus and your XY in the community and jump into the discussions. 
your first try, like mine, might be kind of, uh, but just because your focus sentence isn't any good doesn't necessarily mean your story is no good. Dive in again and make it better. Where can you seek the magic that Soren Wheeler wants for Radiolab stories? What is the universal question you're addressing? Bring all that back to your focus sentence and your XY and build your plan to go forward. This is your path into more focused research and deeper interviews. At some point, it's likely that you're going to be asking yourself, if I'm just supposed to keep jumping in and going deeper, but I'm also supposed to be ready to kill it if it's no good, how do I know if my story is garbage? That, my friend, is a deep question, and not one I can give a definitive answer to. Let me just ask this. Can you say your XY story formula out loud to someone and see their face light up with interest? That's a start. Remember what Sean Cole said about how he works on his stories. You might love something, but you're constantly saying, is it worth it or should I kill this? You've got to both invest open-heartedly in your idea and also look at it with a gimlet eye and judge if it's got what it takes. It's a tough balance to strike. And in general, this kind of discussion is what our community is for. Honing an idea and making the call. Is this a go or not? That's what editorial collaboration is all about. Collaboration is key. One more important note with a nod to Jay Allison. There are stories that don't have a strong question, that don't have a powerful narrative arc. There are great stories like this. If you don't have a narrative arc, or you don't want a narrative arc, you should probably start by being clear about your goals with yourself and with your audience. If you want to float into a reverie or paint a vivid scene or simply get to know a character, try to know that up front. Because if you think what you're doing is tight narrative storytelling and what you're actually pulling towards is something like, for example, a non-narrative poem in written or visual or audio form, you're setting yourself up for a lot of confusion and frustration. And make sure you let the community know what you're aiming at when you post there. If you don't want narrative-oriented critique, make sure we know what you do intend. To review, for this episode's challenge, I want you to take your idea from episode one and craft a focus sentence for it, or an XY story formula, or even better, both. Post them on the working group, and then get into the discussions. Use this focusing and discussion to build your plan for research and, if they're relevant, interviews. I'll have show notes on this episode, including Ira's handwritten refocusing notes from the middle of his day with the twin principles. No help on the handwriting, however. Links to the stories I mentioned in the episode, a PDF about the focus sentence and the XY story formula, and a written reminder of this week's challenge on my site at jessicaabel.com slash podcast. You can also get show notes emailed to you if you're on the newsletter. Please subscribe via iTunes now, and it would be enormously helpful if you'd leave us a review while you're there. Reviews are the number one discovery engine for new listeners, and new listeners help us build the strongest possible creative community around your projects. If you love Out on the Wire and want to support the show, check out the Out on the Wire bonus pack. In it, you get full music downloads from the show and complete versions of our new interviews including Stephanie Fu, Jonathan Mitchell, Kazu Kibuishi, Robert Smith, and more. It's a great way to spend some time with our awesome guests and support the show at the same time. It's only $10, or more if you're feeling generous, for over eight hours of bonus content. Find out more at jessicaabel.com podcast. You can find me on Twitter at jccabel. Benjamin is at Benjamin Frisch. 
Out on the Wire is produced by Benjamin Frisch, with music contributed by Matt Madden. Made with the support of La Maison des Auteurs, Angoulême. And special thanks this week go to our actors, Cynthia Nevis, Jackson Rees, and Grace Wilson. See you next time when Matt Madden, Benjamin Frisch, and I discuss focus sentences in XYs from our listeners. And then we'll be back with episode three, Walk in My Shoes. <laughs>